0: You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. So please turn with me in your Bibles, if you have one, to the book of James. We're going to be uh, James chapter 1 this morning, verses 13 through 18. Um, If you don't have a copy of God's Word with you, um, I'd I'd encourage you to grab that Black Pew Bible there right, right in front of you. You can turn it to page 1011. Just to be able to read for yourself as we walk through a few verses in James chapter 1 this morning, I'd I'd encourage you to do that. I've entitled this message today, Overcoming Temptation. Overcoming Temptation. And I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page this morning when it comes to the topic of temptation. So I'm just going to open up with a few questions. Uh, How many of you have ever been tempted? Raise your hand. How many of you have ever been tempted? All right. So far, so good. How many of you have ever given into that temptation? All right. We're still tracking. How many of you have ever given in so many times that you've lost count? All right. Guys, this is a message today for all of us. Because you see, temptation literally is a... That's a practical part of reality within the Christian life. No one has accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, and that is it when it comes to sin. It's not how it works. Almost sometimes you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, become a follower of Jesus, and that temptation begins to get ramped up because for the first time in your life, Satan knows that you're playing for the opposite team. And so that temptation is going to be ramped up more and more. And I'm just going to be real honest with, with you this morning. Many of you have come here today, myself included. We put on brave faces and we get all dressed up and everything on the outside looks really good. But on the inside, you and I both know that you are losing the battle when it comes to temptation. That there is something in your life, some, some issue, some area, some temptation, where you and I both know that you have given in far too many times to But if you're that person today, and I'm speaking to myself as much as I am to you, I want you to know today that there's hope. And James chapter 1, verses 13 through 18, um, gives us two practical tools, two practical ways to help us create a framework, to not only to understand temptation, but then also to give us a battle plan on how to face it and face it well. So I don't want this to be a guilt trip. I don't want this to be you should do better, because you know what? You can't do better outside of the hope of the gospel. But today, James is going to direct our hearts and direct our minds to help us create a framework to face temptation with Jesus right by our side. So this is a heavier topic, and we have a mixed young audience today. So I'm not going to go super in-depth. But I I do want to give you those two things as we move forward. So let me just pray for you one more time as we open up God's word together. So Heavenly Father, Lord, as we look forward to hearing from you today, God, I pray, Lord, that we would be open and honest, Lord. God, sometimes we think that you don't know what's going on inside of our hearts, that we're hiding something from you. Uh, That we're hiding our need for you in certain areas, God. And I pray, Lord, today that we would just come clean and come open and be honest and transparent before ourselves and before you, Father, God, and let your word give us hope and peace today. God, we all need help when it comes to temptation in in terms of overcoming it, in terms of knowing how to understand it, Father. And I'm so thankful for the book of James and the practical nature of it and what he's going to show us today. So, God, may your Holy Spirit pick up, God, where I fail so often, communicating your truth. May we see real change happen today. And I pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, church, James starts off by giving us the first thing that you and I need to do when it comes to understanding temptation simply is this, is that we need to place the blame where it belongs, Place the blame where it belongs. Kids, I'll start this way, adults. How many of you guys have ever heard the phrase within your own home, normally with your kids, well, they started it? How many of you guys have heard that? Your kids have used that? Yeah, that's like a staple in in our house. And uh, I do the whole dad thing. doesn't matter who started it, you're going to finish it or whatever. Yeah, but kids use that one all the time, right? Yes. Kids, how many times have you heard your parents Say, if you don't stop doing this, I'm going to blank. Why don't you raise your hands? Kids, how many, times, how many of your parents have heard that? Yeah, my, my kids should be raising, raising their hand because I've definitely used that one, right? Like uh, You don't stop. I'm going to lose my mind or whatever it may be. Insert whatever sinful response you want to put in there. There it is. Because if we're honest, right, we are masters at what? At blaming other people for our actions. We are good at that. The kid's loving this. He's like, yeah, they're getting my parents. This is awesome. <laughs> but church, let's be honest this morning. Not only do we blame others or some, someone or something else for our actions, how many of you have ever blamed God for your struggle with sin? How many of you ever had this dialogue with God? God, if you had never put me into this situation, I wouldn't be struggling the way that I am. Or God, if you haven't, if you would never have put those people into my life, I would never have reacted this way. Or God, if you hadn't put these desires within my heart, I would not be acting out this way. I wouldn't be struggling with this sin. I wouldn't be struggling over and over again with this temptation. Not only do we blame others, Man, we blame God a lot for our own temptation and for our own sin. But James has something to say to this. And James wants to redirect and reframe how we think. James chapter 1, verse 13 says this. He says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. And two reasons why. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So James Being under the inspiration of God is addressing something that goes on within all of our minds. Blaming God for our sin. And he says, hey, don't say when you're tempted to sin that this is coming from God. And he gives two reasons for it. First reason, listen, God is righteous and holy. And there is nothing within God that Satan can tempt out or use to for God to sin. God needs, wants nothing to do with sin. God is completely holy and separate and other from sin. So it's not even in his nature. He is completely sinless and perfect and holy. So temptation doesn't come from God. And secondly, God doesn't, God doesn't tempt anyone. Think about it. Do you really think that God's desire for you and for me is that we would live a sinful life? No, if God is righteous and holy and we believe that he is, then why would God want us to do anything contrary? So James just puts it right up front. Listen, I know we're really good at blaming other people or or other things, but this temptation doesn't come from God. So let's not put the blame on him. And so, let's just follow the logical process here. If we can't blame others, if we can't blame God, who exactly is to blame for our sin? Wow, ourselves. Someone's been reading James. All right. James 1.14 says this, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. By his own desire that let's stop pointing the finger at other people, let's stop pointing the finger at God, let's get down to the real problem. This is something with, within and inside our hearts. It's not a product of our surroundings, it's something within us. See, these sinful desires come out when tempted and enticed to fulfill them. Whether it be the devil, whether it be the world, whether it be our own sinful flesh, It's already inside of us, and temptation triggers that desire to be fulfilled. Let me tell you something right up front. Satan cannot make you sin. You guys believe that? Satan can't make you sin. Any sin, any, any response is something that you do, something that I do. Satan can present himself and present temptations to you, But when it all comes down to it, the responsibility is solely upon us. Is that the whole phrase, the the devil made me do it? It's wrong. It's a lie. You did it. The devil might have encouraged you to do it, but at the end of the day, you did it. See, because Satan is basically, he's like a skilled fisherman. How many guys fish in here? I don't. So I made sure to talk to Pastor Dan, who I know does, before I even shared this illustration to make sure that I wasn't talking gibberish up here. But think about it. What, what do people who fish, what do they put on their, on their hook? A lure. It's actually in the word, right? Lure. What, what does that lure do? It entices, it draws fish out. And so, I don't fish a lot, but when I do fish, I normally put something on that hook, right? What, what would typically happen if you put nothing on that hook and you cast it into whatever body of water you're fishing at? Fish probably aren't gonna bite, right? Because they're smart, you know, that's a hook. I'm not going to that, like I'll die. This is it, game over. But when a lure is there, yeah, someone's fishing over here, you know. But when a lure is put on there, And when a skilled fisherman not only puts a lure on, he knows what time of day to fish, he knows what kind of bait to put on, he knows how to present it in the water for the sole purpose of enticing other fish to come out and bite onto that hook. That whole phrase, when they come back sometimes, fishermen will say, you know, the fish weren't biting that day. What it really means is I didn't entice the fish enough to come and sink their teeth into my lure. So what sin is and what temptation is, is exactly that. Whether Satan, the world, our own flesh, we see something out there that at one time in our life wrought satisfaction and happiness. And Satan is no dummy. All of us are different in what we're tempted by. And Satan, Satan knows and remembers that. So he's going to attack you at your point of weakness and put something in front of your life, in front of your eyes, that stirs something up within your heart to go get. So sin, what it does, sin, temptation, is when you see something that one time brought satisfaction to you. And there's something within your heart that says, I want to go get that again. I want to I I experience, have that same experience. I want to have that same feeling. I want to I I have that same high, whatever it, whatever it is. That's all temptation is. It is luring you out of the safety of God's will and God's plan to find satisfaction somewhere else. And then James, in his goodness, gives us verse 15. Because you see, up to this point, you may be thinking, all right, I get lured into temptation. What's the big deal? Well, James 15, 1.15 says, Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Church, this is the end result of temptation. And I want to just note one thing. Guys, being tempted isn't sin. You guys understand that? Being tempted by something isn't sin at that point. You and I can be tempted to do a million different things, but it's when we act upon that desire, when that, when that desire meets human will, and you decide to do that, that's when it becomes sin. And James here says, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Obviously, we have a younger crowd today. I'm not going to walk you through the whole diagram and process of conception. Parents, that's on you guys. You're welcome. not going to have diagrams or pictures or anything like that, but we all get the picture, right? Sin, when it's conceived grows up, and when it's fully matured, brings forth death. And that word death here can be applied to so many arenas of our life. Obviously, the first thing many of us think of when we think of death, we think of spiritual death, complete separation from God. You look at, you look at Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and God created Adam and Eve, to live in this perfect garden and perfect community with God. But when sin entered into the equation, that separated their relationship with God. And God had to kick them out of the Garden of Eden. And from that, from that very moment, he began a rescue plan to, to, to rescue all of humanity from their sin. And that rescue plan culminates in the coming down of Jesus Christ, who died on the cross in our place for our sins and rose again, offering eternal life to everyone who believes in him. So death could, death could mean spiritual death. Death could also mean emotional death. Death, And what, what I mean by that is that our sin has emotional consequences. It, it impacts our own mentality, how we think, the framework of how we see things. Sin impacts our relationship with those around us. All of us here in this room probably have a relationship that has been broken and maybe not resolved even to this day because of a sinful action of one of the parties. And sin can ultimately lead to physical death. Because I truly believe, especially with believers, that if you are a believer in Jesus, but you habitually turn to sin instead of turning back to God, that God says, you have done enough to defame my name, that I'm just going to take you home now. So, Sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So church, I just want to remind you this morning Listen, we need to begin our conversation with temptation by placing blame where it belongs. James encourages us to place that blame where sin belongs, and it belongs on us. It's not solely our circumstances, our upbringing, our family history, any of those things. Listen, they are important. Uh, Your past trauma and pain, those things matter. I'm not up here being insensitive and saying that it doesn't matter, but listen, they make up part of your story, but not all of your story. And too often in our culture today, we have this victim mentality where we hang on to what has been done to us or what we have done for far too long. And we don't give God the space to transform and heal and restore. So we need to place the blame where it belongs solely Understanding is solely upon us that our struggle with sin begins inside of us. And so, if our struggle with sin begins inside of us, we need someone outside of us to save us, to bring us hope. How many of you guys want some hope today? How many of you guys want some practical things that you and I can do as followers of Jesus to stand up to temptation? James does that. In verses 16, 17, and 18. So let's kind of follow along and see what exactly does does James give us. We see the first thing that James gives in verses 16 and 17. Listen, he calls us to remember God's goodness. So in that moment of temptation, that moment where you're feeling the heat and you're tempted to, to, to give in to sin, the first thing James calls us to do is to remember God's goodness. Verse 16 says, do not be deceived. Don't believe the lie, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. James points us back. Instead of focusing on our temptation or on our sin, James points us back to the goodness that God has already given to us. Man, I love love, love this idea. So, Because I believe this, that one of the reasons that we fall so easily into sin is that we believe God has not or cannot satisfy us, right? A lot, a lot of temptation, when it comes down to it, is simply a belief that God cannot or God will not satisfy us, satisfy me, so I'm going to go search for it somewhere else. So in the battle against that, in the battle that really starts in our minds, James says, listen, you need to remember God's goodness to you. Just thinking about it, I want you to do that right now, in your head. How many of you guys can make a list of all the things that God has done for you? All the things that God has blessed you with. All the people that, that God has brought into your life all the, the ways that he's kind of changed your life and directed your path, all of those things have come down from God. And the promise there in James is that will continue to come down from God. If you look at the present, if you look at the present tense, they're, they're, they're in Greek. This is a continual thing. So James says, in those moments of temptation, the first thing you do is that you remember the goodness of God in your life already up to that point. A few verses that really stick out to me. Um, about, about this truth is this. Um, Psalm 8411 one of my, my all time favorite verses says no good thing will he withhold to those who walk uprightly. No good thing. There is nothing that God is not going to give you in his timing and in his way to those who walk after him. That spits in the face of any temptation to, of sin that you're going to find satisfaction somewhere else. Then Romans 8 Verse 32, he says, if God did not spare us only his very son, will he not also give us every other good thing? Listen, if God has met your deepest need by sending Jesus as to be your Lord and Savior and pay for your sin, if he's already met your deepest need, won't he meet every other need you have? So when you're tempted to sin, let's remember what God has done. Church, one of, my, one of my weaknesses when it comes to food are Reese's peanut butter cups. How many of Reese's fans are in here? Yeah, great. Awesome. So, yeah, my complete weakness. If there was, like, Reese's in the house, I would sniff them out and I would find them and I would eat them all. Mel would be like, there's a whole bag of Reese's gone. Like, all oh, the kids must have gotten to them, whatever. No, it wasn't the kids, it was me. Like, so Mel has, like, places around the house now where she, where she hides things. So... But if I see one Reese's on the counter, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab it. Still to this day. I have like COVID nose, and peanut butter tastes terrible to me. But every once in a while, I'll still try. And it still tastes like mold, but I, I'll still give in every single time. But think about this. Mel, Mel brought, brought this up to me a couple days ago. He was like, Dave, but if you're already full of ice cream or other, some other sugary treat, you're not going to go after that Reese's peanut butter, are you? I was like, "Ah, I might, but there's a less chance of that happening. And Church, when we look at whatever that temptation is, listen, that temptation is that little Reese's cup compared to the blessings that God has given to you. That's a full bowl of ice cream. We need to remember our blessings from God far outweighs the satisfaction that that little Reese's cup will ever bring into your life. So let's keep our mind focused upon what God has done instead of believing the lie of what God may or may not do. So remember God's goodness. And, and the, the last thing, verse 18, James calls us to rely on God's power. Verse 18 simply says, It says, Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And Listen, this verse is rich when it comes to the process of salvation here that God desired for you to have a relationship with you. And that desire led him to what? Led him to send his only son, Jesus, to be a sacrifice, to stand in the gap between us and, and God, covered and paid for our sin. And so that basically when we believe the word of truth, when we received that word, heard the good news of the gospel, place our faith and trust in Jesus, at that very moment everything changes for us. That God takes us from the power of darkness and brings us into into the kingdom of light. That we were once not his family, part of God's family. Now we are our our adopted sons and daughters. We are first fruits of his creation. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 10. For by grace are you saved through faith. He says not of works, not of yourself lest, lest anyone should boast. But verse 10 is so important there. He says we are his workmanship, created for good works, which he has determined before the beginning of time. And so God saves us, not just to save our souls, but to show his power and his glory to an unbelieving world that says this is what happens when someone turns, turns their life over to Jesus. This is what happens when someone believes the good news of the gospel. And while this verse, I think, really primarily is talking about that process of salvation, the process of standing up to temptation works here as well. Because let me remind you of something, that the same power is available, the same power that saved us is the same power available when we face temptation. The same desire that, that sent Jesus to the cross, the same word that can melt the hardest of hearts The same work to bring us from darkness to life is available to you and I today right in the midst of our temptation. Church, I believe that God can break every single stronghold of sin in your life. That God's word can bring truth in our confusion when we don't know which way to turn or we don't know what to believe. And I believe that God's power can transform you into what God has called you to be this morning. And you may be here saying, Dave, but you don't know what I've done. Dave, you don't know how long I've struggled with this sin. You don't know my past. You don't know what I've already gone through. Let me tell you this today. That we believe that this word is true. We believe that that God can work and can do miracles. I've seen it as people have turned their lives over to Jesus. I've seen it, people that have struggled with sin and temptation for long periods of time finally say, I'm done trying to do this on my own. I'm going to rely on God's power, on God's word, surrounded by God's people. And we've seen people change for eternity. And listen, I'm not. Uh, to be honest, I'm not. It doesn't mean that you're never going to struggle with sin again. Satan knows what's going on here today, and he's probably going to work you really hard this week, saying, "You know, I know what the pastor said. I know what you read from Scripture this week. But let me push that button. Let me push that temptation even a little bit farther." For church, we believe that God can work, and He presents that to you today as hope. And a verse that if you are and if you're struggling with temptation, a verse that I would just encourage you to memorize, uh, 1 Corinthians 10.13, it says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. There is no temptation that you and I face that the only option we have is to sin. God always provides a way out. God always provides the power to stand. God always will provide the people around you that you need to help you along in your Christian walk as you fight that temptation at that moment. God says, trust me. I'm here, and I want to see you succeed. So as we close Church, I want to leave you with just this one, this one statement. Simply is this, that when we are tempted, God can be trusted today. When we're tempted, God can be trusted. He wants you to experience victory and will never entice you to sin. And God has and will continue to give you every good thing and the power to overcome any temptation Satan throws your way. He can be trusted And listen, if you're here this morning, and man, maybe you're here at church for the very first time, and you've never even heard the good news of the gospel, the the good news that God loves you, the good news that that God loves you enough that even though you and I both know that that there's sin in our lives, and we, we deal with all the consequences and chaos of that sin, and maybe you're here today thinking that there is no hope, but friend, let me tell you today and encourage you today that there is an immense hope by turning your life and placing your faith and your trust not only in your good works or your good efforts, but what God has already done on your behalf through his son, Jesus. As we talk about sin and temptation, Jesus cried out in the book of Matthew, come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. You can find rest from your battles. You can find reassurance of your standing before God today by placing your faith and trust in Jesus. So if that's you and you would like to know more about what it looks like to to have a personal relationship with Jesus, I would love to talk to you today. I'm just going to be up front after the service. Or maybe you're not there to have a personal conversation yet, I'd encourage you to mark that on, on, on a Connect card and put it in a gray basket on your way out today. Or if you'd just like some more reading material on what it looks like to be a believer and what, what this all means, we just have a, some packets of information up front. Um, one is the Gospel of John. It's, it's a book of the Bible. And it's an account of who Jesus is and what he did while he was on earth. And in it, you'll find the message of the Gospel, the message that you can know for sure today that you have a personal relationship with God. The the other book is called Ultimate Questions. And it simply is a book where it walks through the process of some of the biggest questions people have before they come to faith in Jesus. So if you'd like just to come up and grab one, they're right up here. We're not going to ask any questions. Just come up and grab one. And if you want to reach out afterwards, we'd love to have that conversation with you today. But church, know that there's hope. Know that there's hope today thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.